What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dominic Shirosky, and we got another loaded show for you guys today. A lot of stuff to get into, a lot of stuff to talk about across multiple sports. But most importantly, how are you all feeling on this Friday, man? Feel good Friday, end of the week, heading into the weekend. Hope you all are feeling good. Uh, I haven't haven't made a big enough point to make sure that I say this more on the podcast. But if uh, if you're free today, go vote. Early voting is still available in a lot of states. Uh, if you are not going to do early voting, you better be there on election day. Um, but yeah, go vote. Who has a better intro than me, man? Who has a better intro than me? That intro music, perfect. Gets me right every time. Gets me in the mood to talk some sports. And that's exactly what we're going to do here today. So, episode 57. We're going to start episode 57 off with football, of course, because there was a football game played last night between the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers. And a pretty interesting game. You know... This is a game I I expected the Panthers to win, uh, but Atlanta Atlanta came out and did the thing. You know, Atlanta comes out gets their second win of the season, and it's it's so funny how a couple of how just a little bit of misfortune can completely change the way we look at teams. Like Atlanta right now is what I believe two and six on the season. I believe two and six, they very easily, like if they don't give up what three fourth quarter leads, one to Dallas, one to Chicago and one to Detroit, we're looking at them completely differently. Like right now, a lot of people are looking at Atlanta. It's like, well, it's time to rebuild. They're probably, you know, there's, there's been talks about possibly moving Matt Ryan and possibly moving Julio. Um, and that's all because they're two and six, you know, and they win those three games where they had fourth quarter leads. And we look at this team completely different. I mean, they'd be five and three. They'd be right in the thick of things for their division. Um, but it just it just shows you how how just a couple of couple of little differences like that can really change the entire outlook of your season. Um, but no, Atlanta, and I got to give Atlanta credit. They looked good on for the, this is one of the few games this season where they've looked pretty good on both sides of the ball. You know, um, obviously in Atlanta, uh, offense has not been the problem, right? Atlanta is, has, has not had problems scoring. They've not had problems uh, racking up yards. That's, that's not been the problem at all. Um, the problem has been on the defensive side of the ball and they did a really, really, really great job of, uh, keeping this Carolina offense in check. Um, outside of, uh, Mike Davis, who had a couple of really good runs, shout out to Mike Davis. He's a Stevenson high school, uh, alumnus. So shout out to him, uh, SHS all day. 
fellow alumni. But uh, he had a pretty good game, 13 carries for 66 yards. He was running the ball, had some really, really impressive runs. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, they're very quietly, by the way, because this is something that I was kind of interested in seeing, was that uh, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, like, both lead the league in receiving yards this year or something like that. Like, something crazy, um, which was interesting to see just because you don't, really think that the Panthers have really been slinging it a lot, but uh, no, the Falcons though, they did a good job of keeping this offense contained um, specifically in the second half, you know, Carolina scored 14 points in the, in the first half and then only had one field goal for the rest of the game. Um, really good show. Like I said, just a really good showing uh, for the Falcons and it, it, it has to feel refreshing to get a win, you know, um, like I said, they were one and six before this, they get two and six against a division rival, a division rival that they had lost to earlier this year. Um, so I'm sure they're feeling good. Julio Jones did Julio Jones thing, seven receptions for 137 yards. Uh, one, uh, scary moment for the Falcons, uh, Calvin Ridley went down and did not finish this game. Not fully sure what the extent of his injury is. Uh, we're waiting to see, but it hopefully it doesn't seem like it was going to be anything too serious. He did walk off the field, and they took him to the back, but he just didn't finish the game. Uh, maybe it was just something they didn't want to put him out there anymore. Um, so he probably will be back. I, I will assume, especially since they played Thursday, he'll have a couple of extra days of rest uh, before their next game. Uh, so I'm assuming he'll be healthy and he'll be fine. But like I said, Atlanta, you know, and this defense, by the way, give credit to this defense. This defense did finally what they are supposed to be doing. And they held on to a fourth quarter lead. Uh, Atlanta scored a touchdown early in the fourth quarter and put them up 25 to 17. And the Falcons defense came up big. They kept Carolina out of the end zone. They kept them from getting in field goal range. Uh, there was one time. Now I will say there was a moment <laughs> Because Young Way Koo, the kicker for the Falcons, did miss the extra point after the Falcons scored that touchdown and kept this an eight-point game, which basically meant it was just a one-possession game. All Carolina needed to do was score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion. And I'm sure every Falcons fan, when Young Way Koo missed that extra point, just sat there and was like, oh, no. It's 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 going to happen again, right? <laughs> like, it's this this is – we've seen this before. It's something small like this that's going to come back to bite us. But – that defense, to their credit, did a really good job of keeping Carolina in check for the majority of the game. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, now, like I said, there was one point at the end of the, closer to the end of the game uh, where Carolina has to get the ball, and they they literally start that drive at their own five yard line. Like that, it was about at their own five yard line, and they have to basically drive ninety five yards to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie the game and send it into overtime. And for a very, very good moment, it looked like that's exactly what they were about to do. They were moving the ball on that drive, completed uh, like a 18- or 20-yard pass on a third and 16 to Robbie Anderson to get them a first down and keep the drive alive. And as a Falcons, like <clears throat> I'm sure Falcons fans were just sitting there and just like, here we go again, you know, like it's, it's, it's the same old, same old. Uh, but no, like I said, they, they were able to seal the deal. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, had some pressure come in, 
Uh, he rolls out, feeling pressure, throws, and uh, it was picked off. I'm trying to – I can't remember who picked it off off the top of my head. One second. Oh, my goodness. Who had the interception? Brady Way Wilson. Be yeah, sorry. <laughs> Brady Way Wilson had a, a really great interception. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't even see him. Uh, he looked like he really was just trying to throw the ball, get it out of there quick. Um, but the other big takeaway from this game, and it's something that I, um, I've had a little bit of a problem with because I've seen it happen a couple of times this season. Um, the NFL has not done a good job of protecting players this year. Um, there was a point in this game, and I tweeted about this, and that the NFL just, there have been three times this season where there have been Obviously, blatant, illegal, and dirty hits. Um, and in all honesty, they look like... All three of them look like there's intent to actually hurt somebody. Um, Teddy Bridgewater has to scramble on one of the plays. And Charles Harris, the one of the Atlanta Falcons uh, defensive players... While Teddy Bridgewater is down, by the way, like he's already on the ground. He's not... You know, he's not uh, up. He's not trying to make a move. He's down, basically. You know, he's going down to the ground. He's tackled. He's already like, yeah, like he's he's basically on the ground when it happens. And Charles Harris absolutely comes in and damn near breaks Teddy's neck. And we got news this morning that Charles Harris, who, by the way, was penalized and ejected from the game for that hit, as he should have been, um, will not be suspended. And... It's it's insane to me that you all preach all of this player safety, but then when guys are out here doing blatantly dirty things, you know, John Bostick with his hit on Andy Dalton the other week, where he, I mean, absolutely dirty, cheap shot, takes Andy Dalton's head off and concusses him. No suspension there. You know, there's another play, one of the Dallas Cowboys players, uh, literally, and I spoke about this one before. Literally, d grabs one of grabs uh the offensive player grabs his ankle and literally starts doing like an alligator death roll and starts twisting his leg up. And there's basically been no repercussions. There's been a fine, but what's a fine to guys that are making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars? So. I just think that the NFL and specifically Roger Goodell have done a terrible job of policing and really getting things like this right. All three of those individuals that pulled those stunts, because those, again, are obvious, blatant attempts. Like, there's intent. They're doing those with the intent to hurt someone. That's not football. Yeah, that's not a football play. You're doing that. It's a cheap, dirty hit. It's a dirty move. You're doing that with the intent to hurt somebody. You're doing that with the intent to injure somebody. Let me say that. Not hurt, because as a defensive player, you want to hurt someone. You want to make sure that they feel it after you hit them. 
but the intent is never to injure. That should never be the intent, and that is exactly what the intent was in those three different situations. Um, so I'm just disappointed in Roger Goodell, but Roger Goodell has kind of shown throughout his time as commissioner that he isn't one to really look up to or that he's not going to be the person to make uh, the right call uh, more often than not. So it is what it is. But good win for the Falcons. Starts me off with a rough beginning to this uh, to my picks because, like I said, I did have the Panthers winning this game. So right now I'm 0-1 on the week. But we got some other games. We got some other picks we need to make. So let's go ahead and do them. We got Pittsburgh and Baltimore up first. And man, oh man, oh man. So you all know I am a Steelers fan. And obviously I want the Steelers to win this week. However, as a Steeler fan, I am realistic and very rarely do either one of these teams win both games. So whenever we play the Ravens, I basically just go by who's the home team. And that's how I decide who will probably win the game. (laughs) Just because this is the best rivalry in football They're two teams that are always good, that are always competitive, that always seem to, and also always seem to kind of be built similar. You know, this is the first time really that they're not just because obviously Ben can't run like Lamar Jackson, but they're both big on the defensive side of the ball. You know, defense is something that they preach. Uh, They both are going to have efficient offenses and things like that. So it's going to be a really, really great game. Um, I think it's going to be an absolute dog fest. It's going to be tough. Scoring is going to be at a premium. I think both of these defenses are great. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a tough time getting away from TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take the Ravens in this game just because this game is being played in Baltimore. If this game was being played at Pittsburgh, I'd take the Steelers. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say the Steelers' reign of being the only undefeated team in the league last only one week uh we'll be six and one after this game but we'll be all right uh next up saints and bears i almost want to pick the bears in this game i really do i almost want to pick the bears in this game again just because of location this game is going to be played in chicago the saints drew Brees. they play in new orleans where it's nice it's warm they play in a dome don't have to play out in the conditions it's going to be 39 degrees in Chicago, all damn near freezing. It's going to be cold, sunny. Maybe we'll get some rain. Not really sure, but it, it, it's main thing is it's going to be cold, right? And I think that bodes well for the team that you know. That's something that really does play a part, and it's something that is kind of a a, a benefactor to teams that have to play in the northern regions, you know, where it's it's cold and they're used to playing in the snow and in the cold weather. So I almost want to go with the Bears this game. I really do. Um, but I just, it's it's funny because it's really up to this Bears de- offense. You know, I think this defense will do a good job. This defense will do what they're supposed to do. I don't think the Saints are going to go absolutely crazy. I don't think the Saints are going to come in here and hang 35 on this Bears defense. It's just not going to happen. This Bears defense is way too good. Um so that it really is going to come down to 
which Bears offense are we going to see? And more importantly, which Nick Foles are we going to get? Are we going to get the Nick Foles that threw for four touchdowns in the second half against the Atlanta Falcons? Or are we going to get the Nick Foles who, you know, went up against the Colts and that offense looked absolutely terrible? You know, I don't want to get on them too much. Like I said, that offense did not look good their last game against the Rams. However, their punter, the Rams punter, Hecker, did a hell of a job. I mean, he was the reason they won that game more than anything. He was the reason they won that game. They had about six or, you know, wasn't it like five times the Bears had to start within their own five yard line? Like they had to drive, they would have had to drive 95 yards to score a touchdown, something like that. It was, it was tough. And especially against the Rams defense, that's that, that's that good. Um, so I, I just don't know. You know, like I said, part of me wants to pick the Bears here just because I do like the fact that this is played in Chicago. It's going to be played outside. Uh, no dome and the saints, you know, that's not really something that they're used to, but it's hard to pick against the saints right now. The saints are playing really well. Uh, I have to give it to drew Brees. I th- might've been a little too early on the demise of drew Brees uh, train. I thought earlier in this year that he did not look that great. And since then he has done nothing but prove me wrong. Uh, he's played really well, has the highest completion percentage, in the NFL, has thrown for 1,600 yards, 11 touchdowns. He's playing really well right now. The Saints offense is playing really well right now. Same thing with Alvin Kamara, who he's – hell, Alvin Kamara might end up getting – you know, if he can stay healthy, he's a guy who obviously he's he has that Christian McCaffrey effect. So he's a guy who can end up having 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. He's just dynamic. Um, he's cooled off the past couple weeks. He was absolutely unstoppable. Um, those first like three weeks of the season, he's cooled off a bit, but they're going to need him big against this bears team, both in the run and pass game. So we'll see what happens. I'm taking the saints, uh, Patriots and bills. Um, I'm not as big on the bills as I was earlier this year. However, I'm, I feel even worse about the Patriots. This this offense has no real weapons, and that defense is slow. Um, I just can't I can't pick the Patriots to win this game with the way Cam, and I don't want to put it all on Cam because this is one of the reasons why, you know, we saw the GOAT Tom Brady in this offense last year, and yeah, they were winning games. That defense also was playing better and had uh, all of their leaders there, but... Tom Brady, this is the reason why he left New England. Like, yeah, it was like he wanted to he he wanted to stop being treated just like one of the guys, obviously. But I think one of the reasons why he wanted to leave New England was because of this philosophy that we're just not going to put top tier offensive talent around you. Um, and it's coming to bite New England in the butt right now. Uh, Cam Newton doesn't really have any weapons like Cam Newton is the only offensive weapon that the Patriots have right now. You know, Julian Edelman. Uh, he actually ended up having a minor knee surgery earlier this week. He's probably not going to play this game against the Bills, who Julian Edelman was the only other guy, the only guy on this team as far as uh, outside of Cam that you really have to maybe game plan for and look at him and be like, okay, we got to make sure we keep him in check. But Nikhil Harry, one, can't really stay healthy, and two, hasn't been that impressive. So he's looking like a bust. And outside of that, they just they they don't have a lot of talent on this team, uh, offensively at least. So 
I'm not super crazy about Buffalo anymore, but I don't feel good at all about the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills to win this game. They're going to be at home as well. Uh, let's go Buffalo. Titans at Bang- Titans at Bengals. Uh, another good one. Joe Burrow is really good, man. Joe Burrow is really good. I have to say, Joe Burrow is incredible. Um, I think this is a game where it'll be close. I think this is another one. This is probably going to be another shootout because that Tennessee defense uh, has not played well this year. They give up a lot of yards. They give up a lot of points. Uh, so it's a game where the Bengals will be in this for a time uh, because I think they'll be able to score quickly wherein Tennessee is trying to milk the clock and all of that. But I'm still going to take Tennessee. Um, however, I don't think this will be a blowout. I think it'll be close, but I'm going to take Tennessee. Raiders and Browns. I am going to go with, even though it's not a big upset because the, the Browns are only a two and a half point favorite, I'm going to go with the o- the <laughs> Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Derek Carr has played pretty well this season. Like he's had games. It's fun. It's funny. He's been a little up and down, but when Derek Carr is up, it's really good. He spins the ball. Um, He and Henry Ruggs have that deep ball connection going really well. And this Brown secondary is not that great. Uh, They also, the Raiders have Josh Jacobs, who's a great running back. Um, I'm going to take the Raiders. I understand that they're going to be in Cleveland. Uh, it looks like there's going to be a little bit of rain there, so we'll see how that affects the game. But the Browns, they're they're a good team. You know, they're five and two. Um, however, this Raiders team, when you look at some of the teams that they've beaten, it's quite impressive. You know, they've beaten the Chiefs, they've beaten the Saints, so they have shown they can hang with the elites. You know, they can hang and compete with the elites. Whereas the Cleveland Browns have not shown that. The Browns, the only two times they've played really elite level teams this year, they've gotten absolutely stomped. Um, I'm going to take the Raiders. Uh, I think the Browns will feel the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I saw some people talking about, oh, is this Browns team better without Odell? No, they're not better without Odell. Baker just doesn't key in on Odell, and, and the focus isn't on getting Odell the ball. I think that's something that the offense is going to have to figure out. And I think that's something Kevin Stefanski is going to have to get into Baker's head. Um, I think this will be a good thing for Baker. So that way he can maybe build some trust in the other receivers, but no, this Browns team is not better without Odell. Um, that being said, I'm taking the Raiders Colts and lions. This is a really, really weird game because this is another game where it depends on which Colts team shows up, right? Like this Colts team they're four and two, but they're they're four and two, but you don't really feel great about them at four and two, right? Um, they've had some real head scratching losses, specifically to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the opening uh, week. The Detroit Lions, again, their team, where I said this, they might finish the season like six and ten, but they're going to be a tough team. Like they're a team that might finish six and ten, but could have easily finished nine and seven, something like that. Um, ah. I genuinely don't know who I want to pick for this game. Like, honestly, I, it's, this is tough. Um, I'll take the Colts. Uh, I think that Colts defense is really good. And coming off of a bye week, I think the Colts are a little bit 
more prepared. I'll take the Colts, but I'm not confident in it. I honestly don't know who's going to win this game. This is a really tough game to pick. I'll take the Colts, though. Uh, Vikings and Packers. Fun fact. Aaron Rodgers has thrown more touchdowns against the Minnesota Vikings than any other team in the NFL. He absolutely torches the Vikings. Now, granted, he torches a lot of teams, but he's thrown the yes, the most touchdowns he's ever thrown against one team is against the Vikings. I believe that continues. I'm taking Green Bay in this game. This game is going to be in Green Bay. The Minnesota Vikings are one of the most disappointing teams in the league this year. I think when you look at all of the moves that they made, you know, they trade Stefan Diggs out, but then they draft Justin Jefferson. Now you still have that that really great wide receiver tandem with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, who, by the way, Justin Jefferson has been phenomenal. Like Chase Claypool and a couple of other rookies have been kind of getting a lot of the uh, national media uh, attention. It's because this Vikings team is one in five right now, but Justin Jefferson has been incredible. Um, but it, I'm going Packers, you know, Green Bay just... Minnesota's defense doesn't have what it takes to stop Green Bay. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. You're going to need, like, that's that's really the main thing with Green Bay this year is because Green Bay's defense isn't that great, but their offense is so good. You're going to have to have a defense that can slow them down and force that defense to make stops. Like, force Green Bay to have to play defense and you will probably win that game. We saw that against Tampa Bay. They really absolutely had a stranglehold on that Packers offense and completely whipped up on that Green Bay defense, and that's why Tampa Bay won that game like 35-10. to 10. Minnesota, I don't think their defense is good enough to slow the Packers down, and because of that, that's going to force the, the Vikings to get away from what they typically want to do, which is run the ball with Dalvin Cook. Now that means you're putting the game into Kirk Cousins' hands, and that <laughs> doesn't bode well for anyone. Um, I'm going to say Green Bay. Jets and Chiefs. I don't think this game is going to be the blowout that everyone thinks it's going to be. I think the Chiefs will absolutely win. I told you all, the Jets are on their way to 0-16. The Chiefs will win this game. However, I do feel like the Jets are going to score some points. Um, I see the line is like Kansas City minus 19 and a half. I could see the Jets losing this game by only two scores. I think the Jets can score, you know, a couple of points against this Chiefs team. I think that people forget that there is some talent on this Jets team. Um, Granted, Adam Gase is still the head coach, so I understand why you probably don't believe in them. But Sam Darnold is a is a ball is a I don't I don't want to call him a baller. He's a football player. He's a guy who doesn't give up. He's tough as nails. I think that he is just being stunted in his growth because he's in New York and he's going to, to see Sam Donald at his best, he's definitely going to have to leave the Jets. Um, but I think, I think I'm, I'm going to give the Jets a little bit of love here and say that they put up a respectable performance against the Super Bowl champs. They, I think this game will be something like 33 to 17. You know, I think it'll be like a two score game. I do. A two-possession game, I think, is what we get out of the Jets and Chiefs. Um, So, But I'm still taking the Chiefs. (laughs) 
Next up, Rams and Dolphins. We have Tua time in Miami. However, it is coming up against the best defensive player in the league in Aaron Donald. He's going to be all over Tua. It's going to be a rough first game. Uh, Tua will look good, but I'm taking the Rams. I actually, I'm surprised that this game, there isn't a wider spread. Right now, the Rams are only a three and a half point favorite. That's surprising to me. If you are a betting person, I would absolutely hammer uh, Rams minus three and a half in this game. I think the Rams will win by about 16 points, something like that. Yeah, about 10 to 16 points, something like that for the Rams. Uh, no disrespect to Tua. Like I said, I think Tua will be a good player. I just don't think that they have what it takes to go up against a team like the Rams. The Rams are very good, um, even though they've had some lackluster performances at times. Uh, that defense is dominant. Like I said, Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the league. And Sean McVay, man, he just he schemes an offense that is almost impossible to stop when they're clicking. So I'm going to take the Rams. Next up, we have Chargers and Broncos. Uh, Drew Locke versus Justin Herbert. Uh, currently, Justin Herbert has the better team around him. So because of that right there, I'm going to go with the Chargers. Uh, the Broncos... I expected a little bit more out of the Broncos this year. I did. I thought the Broncos could be a team that could compete for a playoff spot. Now, granted, they've had two catastrophic injuries to this team. Uh, obviously, uh, Cortland Sutton getting injured. Uh, their number one wide receiver, or 1A, because they also drafted Jerry Judy. But uh, Cortland Sutton getting injured really derails their offense. Phillip Lindsay hasn't really been healthy all season. Um, and then obviously the loss of Von Miller. So they they've, they've been banged up. They've had to play a couple games without Drew Locke. Um, so I get it, you know, I, I understand, but, uh, I'm going to take the chargers. I just think that I think Justin Herbert is a little bit better. I think Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Drew Locke. And I think that he has a better team around him currently. So I'm going to take the chargers. 49ers and Seahawks. Uh, I'm taking Seattle. Uh, I understand the 49ers are starting to get a little bit healthy on the offensive side. However, on the defensive side, they still don't have Nick Bosa. They still don't have Solomon Thomas. They still don't have Richard Sherman. Not sure if Quan Alexander and Jaquaski Tart will be playing this game. I believe I saw that they are questionable. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I'm taking Seattle. Uh, I just don't think San Francisco has enough offense. Again, it's the same situation with Minnesota. I don't think San Francisco's defense... Uh, is good enough to slow Seattle down enough. Um, and I just don't think the 49ers will be able to score with the Seahawks, even though the Seahawks defense has looked bad this year. Um, Russell Wilson is playing out of his mind. 22 touchdowns on the season, 1,890 yards. I mean, it's everything is going right for Seattle right now offensively, and I just don't think the 49ers stop that. Also, this game is in Seattle. Uh, I'm going to take the Seahawks. And for whatever reason, the Sunday night game <laughs> is the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Philadelphia Eagles, and this isn't even close. That Cowboys defense is atrocious. Looks That, that Cowboys defense is on pace to be the worst defense of all time. Uh, it's, it's bad in Dallas right now. Um, even with Philly having a lack of weapons and being banged up offensively, uh, I'm still taking Philly in this game. 
Also, the Dallas Cowboys, by the way, are on their third string quarterback in this game. I don't, the Cowboys might get shut out if we're being completely honest. Um, that offensive line for Dallas is decimated. Ezekiel Elliott has been bad this year. I mean, he's had, he's had some terrible fumbles. He has not gotten anything going. Now, again, part of that is with the offensive line, but Ezekiel Elliott has looked terrible this year. Um, and as far as Dallas goes, it's just, it's, it's tough. So I'm taking Carson Wentz and the Eagles. The Eagles are, are going to go on to win this division, by the way, even if they only end up winning like seven games. <laughs> um, but Hey, it's the NFC East, worst division in football. It happens, but I'm taking the Eagles. And then Monday night, we have Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New York Giants. Now, before I decide who's going to, I mean, obviously, okay, Buccaneers are going to win this game. They have Tom Brady. They have Mike Evans. They have Chris Godwin. They have Leonard Fournette. They have Ronald Jones. They have Rob Gronkowski. Next week, they're going to get Antonio Brown back. The Buccaneers are going to win this game. My question is, who the hell decided that the New York Giants were must-see football this year? The New York Giants, literally half of their games, they've played, this will be their eighth game they've played this season. They've had four games in primetime. They had a Monday night game to start the season against Pittsburgh. They had a Thursday night game um, against the Eagles. I believe their their afternoon game, their one of their four, the 425 game that they had against the Cowboys was primetime. And now they're getting another Monday night game against the Bucks. Who the hell decided that the Giants were must-see TV this year? I really want to know, like NFL schedule makers, why were you all just like who sat back and was like, oh, yeah, people want to see Daniel Jones go out there. Like who the hell said, yeah, no, people want to watch the Giants this year. We don't. Please stop putting them in primetime games. OK, I, I don't want to watch the Giants play. They they're trash. No Saquon Barkley. Yeah. And that's really the thing. No Saquon Barkley in, for New York basically means that New York there's no reason to watch them. If Saquon Barkley isn't on the field for this team, there's no reason at all to watch the Giants. Point blank, period. Stop putting them in primetime games. Buccaneers by like 20. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I realized that recently, I was like, I feel like I've watched a lot of Giants games this year for some reason. And I have. I've literally like half of the games that have been played this year, uh, the Giants, or half of their games that they've played this year, the Giants have had a primetime game. And I'm like, why <laughs> why but uh before we move on to college football news a couple of quick updates in the nfl a couple of big news uh carlos dunlap was traded to seattle uh, as you all know carlos dunlap has been one of the great interior defensive linemen for the cincinnati Bengals for his entire career uh and you know i get it he's he's getting towards the end of his career and he doesn't want to sit back on a team that's rebuilding with Joe Burrow. And I completely get it. Uh, he voiced his frustration to the organization. They basically told him, all right, fine, don't come to practice today. And we'll see what we can do for you. And now he is on his way to Seattle. I think that's a great pairing. I think that it gives Seattle uh, someone who can generate some pressure up front. I think it helps that defense out a lot. Uh, he's a leader. Listen, I like I said, as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, I've watched Carlos Dunlap, Dunlap wreak havoc on Ben Roethlisberger sometimes. Uh, so I think that's a great move for Seattle. And as far as, you know, Cincinnati goes, you get rid of a disgruntled player. Yeah, it probably makes your team worse for the time being. But hey, it's not about right now. With Cincinnati, it's all about the future. You pick up, I believe, a fifth round pick for him. Um, so 
you get rid of a disgruntled player, you get you get a little bit more draft capital, and you know, hey, you start looking towards the future. Um, also, big news out of NFL: Ronnie Stanley, Baltimore Ravens uh, offensive lineman, just got the damn bag. <laughs> uh, the Ravens signed him to a five-year extin- extension. I always say extinction for some reason. Uh, the Ra- Ravens signed uh, left tackle Ronnie Stanley to a five-year, ninety-eight point seven five million dollar extension. Uh, and he, I mean, hey. It makes sense. He's an all pro. He's been phenomenal since he's come into the league. Uh, and he's he plays a super important part in the fact that he's the one that protects Lamar Jackson. So huge for him. Great for the big guys getting money. I'm always happy to see guys get their money, especially the ones that truly deserve it. And Ronnie Stanley is one of those guys. So Lamar Jackson, you can breathe easy knowing that Ronnie Stanley will be protecting your blind side for the next six seasons. All righty. Moving on, we got some college football news, mainly a lot of COVID updates in college football. So obviously the big news from college, uh, from the NCAA this uh, week, is that Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for the Clemson Tigers, Trevor Lawrence, who is widely considered to be the unanimous number one overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft, has tested positive for COVID-19. He will be out this week for their game. Uh, not sure exactly uh, against Boston College is who they're going up against. He will not be playing this week. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what exactly happens and how they move forward with this. Uh, I've heard that he'll be quarantining. It. He'll, he'll, he has a mandatory quarantine uh, time period of 10 days. It does sound like that Clemson is trying to get him back no matter what for this Notre Dame game, which I really hope that's not the case. I hope that they're not again, putting other people in, uh, in danger just so they can win a game, you know, like Clemson, even if you guys were to lose a game against like Notre Dame, it's okay. Like you're, you're, you're still going to make the college football playoffs because even if like you can just chalk it up to, well, Trevor Lawrence wasn't there, <laughs> right? You can just chalk it up to that. as like Trevor Lawrence isn't there. Trevor Lawrence is there. This team is probably the best in the nation, but Trevor Lawrence does have COVID-19. Uh, so hoping that he, will be uh, making a quick comeback. Hopefully everything's fine there. Uh, hopefully there's no lasting uh, side effects or anything like that, lingering effects. But big news for them. We'll see how Clemson uh, reacts this week, and we'll see how long he's going to be out. Um, also, more COVID news. That's really all I have for you guys. So a little, little, little bit of a damper on the college side right here. I'm sorry. Um, but Wisconsin... The Wisconsin Badgers have announced that there have been 16 active cases of COVID-19 um, on their <clears throat> on their team. Uh, obviously, with that much, their game against Nebraska was canceled. Uh, Nebraska, who actually was attempting to get a schedule change because obviously the Big Ten is in a awkward situation. And in a tough situation where they have to basically play eight games in eight weeks. And, you know, for teams like Ohio State, teams like Wisconsin that are trying to make it into the college football playoffs, it's it's rough because you're going to need more than seven games played, you know, to really have a shot at getting into the playoffs. Um, so 
Wisconsin and Nebraska has been uh, canceled. Nebraska was trying to get a, another team, another game played. They were actually had a game originally set up for an idea against Chattanooga. Uh, that game, uh, that idea has been nixed. They're not going to be moving forward with that. So, again, just we're seeing the effects of COVID. We're seeing, and, you know, the Big Ten, the Big Ten, by the way, they came out. And the Big Ten, I have to say, I kind of like and like it's funny because the Big Ten has been kind of looked at as the bad guys in this situation because it seems like they're punishing the the, the teams for doing all of the protesting and whatnot for trying to get the Big Ten to change their mind on bringing football back. So, and I kind of understand like the Big Ten kind of is like, all right, fine, you guys want to play football? Fine, you got to play eight games in eight weeks, and if you test positive for COVID, guess what? Twenty-one day quarantine. So. It's uh it's rough. It's it's rough over there for the Big 10 teams, but you know, it takes all of us and this is this is the reality of playing football during a pandemic. It is this is just how it is. Um also a quick shout out and a quick thoughts and prayers to Desmond Howard, uh ESPN analyst. If you watch college game college football game day, you know who he is. He's up there with Kirk Herbstreet and everybody else. Uh, when they're talking college football and game day and all that stuff. He also tested positive for coronavirus. He will not be on the set of college game day this weekend. Uh, He will be uh, reporting from home and things like that. So just wishing him a speedy recovery, wishing him that he's healthy. He's came out and announced on Twitter, you know, that, Hey, I tested positive. I won't be there. I'll be at home. Yeah. I'll be working from home. You know, I'll be calling in and all that. I feel fine. Uh, So hopefully that stays the case and he can get back healthy, get back out there. Uh, Cause I do like him a lot. He's a really great analyst. Uh, and obviously this, the, that game day crew, they're all really great guys, you know, with Fowler and Herb street and Howard and everyone up there. So uh, hopefully wishing a quick recovery and uh, hopefully he can get over that soon. So that way he can get back out there with the guys. Uh, moving on from college football, talk a little bit of MLB here real quick. Uh, big MLB news was the White Sox are bringing back Hall of Fame general manager Tony La Russa to be the general manager for the White Sox. Uh, Tony La Russa was a guy who the White Sox had way back in the day. You know, he was the White Sox's uh, general manager many, many, many years ago. And, you know, they moved on from him and then he kind of bounced around the team or bounced around the league. Uh, but Tony LaRusso was a phenomenal general manager. Like he was absolutely incredible. Now, there's been some mixed feelings about LaRusso becoming the general manager for the White Sox. And the main part is because the White Sox are a young team. You know, they have a lot of young talent. They've got a couple of key veterans, but for the most part, they're a young team. They're up and coming. Tony La Russa is 76 years old. Tony La Russa also has not been a general manager in the dugout since 2011. So he hasn't been in the dugout for nine years, almost a decade, right? Now, in his defense, the last time we saw him in the dugout, it was with the St. Louis Cardinals and they were winning a championship. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, like I said, La Russa is a guy who, again, has won three titles um, as a general manager. And this was, this was, this was Reinsdorf, you know, this was the owner of the White Sox 
who he the what he's who Jerry Reinsdorf has always said that one of his biggest regrets was moving on from Tony Larusa. They bring him back, you know, thirty four years. You know, thirty four years ago was when Tony Larusa was fired from the White Sox. Now he's back, and we'll see what happens. Um, I understand why there's a little bit of concern with the age gap, just because you're 76 and the majority of guys that you're going to be, you know, managing are 27. Like, yeah, like you got 23, 24, 22, 25, 26. Like you got a bunch of young guys on this team. I understand why there are some people who might look at this and be like, that's a weird hire, but uh, I think it can work out. We'll see what happens though. Um, it, again, it's hard. It's hard to go against the guy with that resume. So, uh, but Tony Lewis is back in Chicago, and we'll see what that means for the White Sox moving forward. And lastly, there was a lot of NBA moves. There was a lot of stuff that happened in the NBA. Um, first and foremost, the Brooklyn Nets are like trying to build the greatest coaching staff of all time. So they hire Steve Nash to be the head coach of this team, right? And Steve Nash, to his credit, I think has done a phenomenal job of building a coaching staff around him that has a ton of experience, building a coaching staff around him that he's with a bunch of guys that he's familiar with. Um, and it's it's really impressive. So obviously we know about Amari Stoudemire coming in and becoming one of the assistants. Uh, it also was announced to today or yesterday, I believe. Uh, that Mike D'Antoni will be finalizing a deal to become the assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets, as well as Ime Udoka, who spent seven of his past eight seasons on Greg Popovich's staff with the San Antonio Spurs. So you have Steve Nash, who is in his first year as a head coach. He has Amari Stoudemire, Mike D'Antoni, and Udoka to really kind of help him navigate and manage this whole situation. Um, I think it's a genius move. I'm going to be interested to see, because obviously with Amari and Nash and D'Antoni, your mind immediately goes to those seven seconds and less or less Suns teams, right? So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. It's going to be interesting to see if they try and maybe install some of that philosophy into this Nets team. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how it's going to happen. Uh, but all I know is I like the moves. I think that, I think it's really smart getting a bunch of guys that one you trust and more importantly, guys that have had success and have the experience that you don't around you. Um, this is something that I think a lot of young coaches should do. I think a lot of young coaches should go out there and get these guys that have been in the league for quite some time, you know, get some guys who can help make your job easier, give you some pointers, give you some tips. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of Mike D'Antoni as a head coach, um, I do think there are, there's tons of things you can learn from him. Um, and the Nets, man, I really like the Nets. I do. I like the Nets this upcoming season. You know, I look at them and I look at their starting five. They're going to be a tough out. You know, obviously you have Kyrie and Kevin. Then you have Karis LeVert, who he showed us during the bubble just how good he can be. You still have DeAndre Jordan, who I feel like is a piece that a lot of people are forgetting about. You have Jarrett Allen. Like, 
there's a lot of really talented people on this Nets team. And depending on how they all gel together, it's going to be a lot of fun watching them. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch the Nets. I would not be surprised to see the Nets. I'll I'll be honest. I'm, I'll go ahead and make my pick right now. The Nets will make it at least to the Eastern Conference Finals. If not coming out of the East, they will make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think this team is that good. I think they're that talented. And if this coaching staff works, it's going to be tough to beat them. You know, so... Great for Steve Nash, like I said, building the best damn coaching staff in the NBA. Um, other news, Malcolm Brogdon, one of the vice presidents for the NBA uh, Players Association and Indiana Pacers guard, uh, Brogdon gave a little bit of insight to what's going on with the deadline for when the season will start. Uh, the deadline was supposed to be this Friday, I believe. I believe it's going. He basically came out yesterday and said that he believes that that time, that deadline, will be pushed back. Um, both sides just need to figure things out. Uh, it seems like the players are really pushing for a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day start. That that so they wanted to start sometime in January, whereas the NBA and the owners are kind of pushing for, you know, around Christmas, you know, December 22nd, something like that. But they're trying to figure this thing out. I'm sure it will get done. Um, whether it starts in December, whether it starts in January, all I know is I'm going to be watching. Uh, it most definitely will feature a shortened season. Um, I don't expect them to play more than uh, 72 games this year. I honestly think that they're going to end up going back to what they did that one year with the lockout when they only played 68 games, which I think <clears throat> is a great move. I think that's super smart of them to do. Uh, I think the 68 game, especially when you're starting the season a little bit later than usual, um, because if you remember that lockout season, they started around Christmas, and that season was great. That season was a lot of fun to watch. Um, because there wasn't as many games, it kind of made every game seem more important. Um, Christmas, and also just Christmas basketball is one of the best holiday sports events that goes on like Christmas basketball is always fun I 100% and I'm someone who loves the NFL more than the NBA I 100% believe though that Christmas basketball is much better than Thanksgiving football um but we'll see like I said either way we're gonna watch either way it's gonna be fun both of these sides will figure it out um but that deadline is being pushed back we'll see what happens uh moving forward other staff moves the Houston Rockets have found out who their next head coach will be. They are hiring former Dallas Mavericks uh, assistant Stephen Silas. Uh, Stephen Silas is a guy who he has known nothing but basketball his entire life. His father, Paul Silas, was a head coach and an assistant for some time. Uh, he's been basically for half his life has been an assistant coach for the last 20 years He's been assisting. He's been uh, an assistant coach around the league a couple different times. Obviously, now uh, sitting back and working with Rick Carlisle in Dallas. In Dallas, but he's one of the big things with this hire, which I think is a great hire for the Rockets, is that they have two great guards in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And when you look at some of the guards that Stephen Silas has worked with, uh, Luka Doncic, obviously in Dallas, but he's worked with Stephen Curry and Kemba Walker. He 
I think he, I think this is a really great hire. And mind you, he was a guy that they were thinking about hiring back in 2016 uh, before they hired Mike D'Antoni. So this is a guy who he's been there. He's been on the radar for quite some time. He's a guy who, in all honesty, it's surprising that he spent 20 seasons as an NBA assistant and he hasn't really gotten a head coaching shot before. But, you know, he's going to come in. He's going to have an opportunity to take over a team that has some talent, uh, obviously has a lot of talent. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what he can do with this team. But I think it's a great hire for Houston. Like I said, he's a guy who his time should have come a long time ago. You know, like I said, he's been an assistant for 20 years. He deserves this shot. Um, and I think just with his acumen and the places he's been, people he's learned from and the players that he's worked with, uh, I think this is a great hire for Houston. I really do. Uh, Daryl Morey, who this came across the ticker, and I was actually very surprised because I thought Daryl Morey might sit out a year, maybe take some time away from basketball and just sit back, relax, enjoy yourself for a little bit. Uh, Daryl Morey is going to be the next uh, president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers, which is very, very, very interesting. Um, Mainly because... Daryl Morey's whole philosophy. Now, granted, he's not the general manager, but I'm pretty sure he'll have some say-so. It's going to be interesting to see how his philosophy works with Doc Rivers and this team. Because obviously, Daryl Morey was the guy who was super small ball. We're going to shoot a ton of threes. Well, can't really do small ball because your best player, the best player on this team is Joel Embiid. And you can't really shoot a whole bunch of threes because the second best player and your primary ball handler, Ben Simmons, doesn't shoot threes at all. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. Um, I really, I'm really interested to watch Philly this year. Uh, my main thing in Philly is, are they who, are they going to trade Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid? I, I genuinely don't know which one they're going to go with. I honestly feel like they might like if you're if you're Philly, you try that. Do you try this one more year? You know, you got a new head coach. You got Daryl Morey there now. Maybe you try it. Try this one more year before you break it up, or do you just sit back and say, "Listen, we got to make a decision on who we want to keep and build around them." I don't know. Philadelphia is going to be a very interesting team to pay attention to this year. Um, I, for one, will definitely be playing a close eye. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting in Philly. 76ers are going to be an interesting watch this season. Um, lastly, a little bit of draft news. The Minnesota Timberwolves, who obviously we spoke about uh, last time, how they are shopping the number one overall pick and they don't really know who they want to take number one overall. Definitely sounds like Minnesota does not want to pick, want to pick number one. It seems like Minnesota wants to trade back, maybe get some players or maybe get some more picks. Um, It definitely feels, though, that Minnesota does not want to pick number one overall. However, there were reports that the Minnesota Timberwolves did meet with LaMelo Ball, and that's interesting. Now, granted, this could be absolutely nothing, right? Like, this could be nothing because this could just be the Minnesota Timberwolves doing their due diligence, meeting with guys, 
and whatnot. But them them seeing about LaMelo Ball is interesting in the least. Just because you look at their team and I mean, I guess it could work, right? Like D'Angelo Russell is a, does a pretty good job of getting other guys involved, but LaMelo Ball, you know, he's Lonzo and them. They like to pass. He's a good passer. He's a good scorer. Does not play defense at all. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, LaMelo Ball is so tough to really gauge how good he is. He's tough to analyze. Like, he's tough to really critique. Um, so, I don't know if this is anything, um, but it seems like Minnesota is at the very least interested in him. Um, like I said, this could mean nothing, though. This could just be them doing their due diligence, which I kind of believe that's what it is. I don't think this is something big. I do think that this is something where they're just doing their due diligence, talking to guys. Like, I'm pretty sure they're going to meet with Anthony Edwards. I'm pretty sure they're going to meet with James Wiseman. So I'm not reading too much into this, but it is something to keep your eye on. Um, I don't like it. Let me ask, has there ever been a bigger boom or bust candidate than LaMelo Ball. Just because his situation is so unique, can you properly assess and evaluate him? Right? Like, that's the thing with LaMelo Ball. Can you properly assess and evaluate him based on what we've seen from him throughout his his lifetime? It, it's, it's such a tough and weird situation with his dad and everything that happened, him being taken out of school, then going to play overseas and all this other stuff. He's got a brother in the league already. And it's just, it's, it's weird. It's tough. Um, any team, whatever team does draft LaMelo ball, uh, they're going to be taking a huge gamble. It's going to be a huge gamble. Um, and we'll see if it pays off or if they bust, but who knows, as long as the bulls don't take them, I don't want LaMelo ball. We have enough guards, Obi Topin to Chicago, please make it happen. That's all I know. Just as long as Obi Topin ends up in a Bulls uniform, I will be happy. But that's all we got for you guys today. Thank you all so much for listening. You all are awesome. Uh, if you liked today's episode, by all means, go ahead, like it, share it, post it, all that good stuff. Tell a friend to tell a friend to listen and all that other jazz if you didn't like this episode just act like it didn't happen this has been the instant replay podcast i am dominic shirosky again thank you all so much for listening and as always i leave you all with a quote kobe bryant once said no one hates the good ones they only hate the great ones so go out there and make some new haters i'll see you guys tuesday